Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. That'll be where our first passage is found today. A happy new year to all of you. I hope you have big plans in store and uh, a way to accomplish those plans and praying about those plans and putting all the things in place that need to be there, especially God's will as a part of your plans for this year. Uh, it is wonderful to, to be with you and to look out and to see so many of us here. Uh, it, it's... Um, I don't see very many of us missing, which is, which is great. It's especially good to see Richard out today and uh, always appreciate uh, when those who have been sick are able to come back and be with us and we get to see the, the evidence of God's uh, providing for us. That's always a wonderful thing. So Matthew chapter 11, uh, we're going to read in just a moment a, a passage that is very well known but that I think is good for us to be reminded of. Our theme for this year is a, a nasty-looking picture uh, of a man who is sticking his hands in the clay and, and shaping out a piece of pottery with the idea that it's, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about them, it's all about him. That's a really long title, so we're just going to really focus in on that last section there of it's all about him, and I want to talk about that today because I think sometimes and probably oftentimes we need to be reminded that it's not about us. It's not about what we want and about us getting what we think we should get out of life. It's about serving him. And even as I, I mentioned earlier, I hope that you've made plans for this year. What I really want to say is I hope you have made plans for him this year. Not just for yourself, not for your, your bank account, not for your hobbies, not for what you want to accomplish and what you want to see happen. I hope that part of what you have put together, part of your vision for what you see is important for this year, this 2022 year, is focusing on him. Because I've become convinced that we have been taught by the religious world to focus on self. Without getting too deeply into it, there's a, a phrase that is used to talk about the things that have been taught in the modern religious world. And it is, get this, I might have to say it twice, it's big words, moralistic therapeutic deism. Let me say it again, moralistic therapeutic deism. It is the idea that we as people have redefined God in a way that matches our moral standard that provides some therapy-like structure for our own lives, that God exists to please us, that God exists to make us happy, that God exists to make our plans happen, that God exists for our benefit and I would argue entirely that is wrong. God does not exist for you and me. God existed before you and me. And in reality, because we are the creation, we exist 
for him. You see, ultimately, we find as we look about this world and we look about the lives that we lived, it becomes very easy to get distracted. We've talked about that a lot. Honestly, over the past two years, we've spent a lot of time bringing that point back to the surface. It is so easy to get distracted away from God, and it might be something huge like a global pandemic. It might be something as little as a hobby that you love. It is so easy for us to put things in front of God or to pay attention to things except God. And then we're surprised when, as a result of that, we end up feeling discouraged. Because my observation has been through the years, the more distracted we are, the more discouraged we become. The more we put our attention on the world or the problems of the world or even the good things of this world, we find ourselves feeling discouraged because there's just not much to this world. There's not a lot of depth to this world. And to be honest, if all we have is the world, there's not a lot of purpose to this world. Imagine life without God and without Scripture, without an understanding of who God is. What's the point? If if all you have is from the day you're born to the day you die, and that's all life is about, it's just about having something to do each day from the day you're born to the day you die, what's the point of all of that? What do you really devote yourselves to? And my argument would be the only real valuable thing to devote yourself to, if that's the way life is, is devote yourself to yourself. That's it. If there's really no reason to go about accomplishing good, why trouble yourself with it? If there's no reason to to place any value on your relationship with others other than what you get out of that relationship, well, then just get what you can get and move on. That kind of living is discouraging. And so for those of us who do know that there is a God, who are aware that God is real, that God is there, that God is a rewarder of those who seek him, as it says over uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6, but we take our focus away from God, life is equally as discouraging. Discouragement leads to depression. Because every day you wake up feeling discouraged and you wake up feeling like life just doesn't matter and that there's really no point to all of this and why am I getting up and struggling? And that leads to depression. I have a friend of mine who who has a hole in his heart. And we sat down several years ago and we were talking about life. And he was uh, honestly depressed. Because the way he explained his life to me was, I'm going to go through high school, get an education so that I can get a job, so that I can save up money for the surgery I have to have every eight to ten years, which will take away all of my money, and I have to start it all over again, just so that I can survive another eight to ten years to have the surgery again, and then I have to start all over again. What's the point of that? And the more 
discouraged he became, the more depressed he became, because who wants to get up knowing they're just going to work so that they can survive one more day? There's a lot of the world that lives that way. If that's all life is about, it's about getting stuff for self, and we realize that no matter how much stuff we gather and accumulate for ourselves, it doesn't actually make us happy. Then the only other option is depression. Eventually, depression leads to desperation, and then desperation ends up ultimately often leaving, leading to death. And that is the typical pattern of somebody when they're looking to the wrong place for their answers. Now, you're already there, I think, there in Matthew chapter 11. We have a tendency to try to find answers for ourselves. It's one of the reasons the self-help section of the bookstore is one of the largest and most confusing. Because everybody has a different answer on how to find happiness, how to find joy, how to find purpose. But Jesus makes it so very clear here at the end of Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened or distracted or discouraged or depressed or desperate. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The truth is, the only way to really get through life is to go to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, another very well-known set of verses says, Therefore, since we have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The truth is, the only place where we will really be able to escape the distractions and the discouragement and the depression and the desperation that comes with life on this earth is to turn to the Savior who helps us get away from this earth. That, that's the only answer we really have. We've got to turn to the solution to the woes of this world. And the reason he is the solution is because he is, a, he is the God who comes from another world. He is the Savior who sees this world for what it is. It is merely a distraction from the world to which we belong. This, this world, it, it, we're not going to find our answers and our solution here. We're only going to find them if we're willing to look past the world around us to the next world where our God sits on his throne. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to keep our eyes on the one who has already experienced victory on our behalf? You know, that, that's actually what we've been doing this morning. Uh, the theme of, of David's songs that he has given us today have been songs of praise, songs of joy, where we are overflowing with joy for God 
the, the psalm that Rex read for us earlier, Psalm 145, was a psalm that spent every word talking about the joy that comes from knowing God. I hope we know that joy. Because that's where we got to keep our eyes if we really want to get through this world well. That's where we have to look if we want to find purpose. That's where we have to look if we're looking for joy and happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction. That's where we find all the good. So I encourage us to look there. Turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. I want to look at a couple of passages here in Isaiah, real close together. But I think they will help us realize what is the only point I want to make today in this sermon, which is God deserves to sit on his pedestal. That's the only point I want you to walk away with today. God deserves the place on the throne. And God deserves to be on the throne of our hearts. Isaiah chapter 44. It's a little bit of a long section, but I want to start there in verse 6. This is what the Lord, the King of Israel and its Redeemer, the Lord of Armies, says. I am the first and I am the last. There is no God but me. Who like me can announce the future? Let him say so and make a case before me, since I have established an ancient people. Let these gods declare the coming things and what will take place. Do not be startled or afraid. Have I not told you and declared it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God but me? There is no other rock. I do not know any. All who make idols are nothing. And what they treasure benefits no one. Their witnesses do not see or know anything. So they will be put to shame. Who makes a God and casts a golden image that benefits no one? Look, all its worshipers will be put to shame, and the craftsmen are humans. They will assemble and stand. They will all be startled and put to shame. The iron worker labors over the coals, shapes the idol with hammers, and works it with his strong arm. Also, he grows hungry, and his strength fails. He doesn't drink water and is faint. The woodworker stretches out a measuring line. He outlines it with a stylus. He shapes it with chisels and outlines it with a compass. He makes it according to a human form, like a beautiful person to dwell in a temple. He cuts down cedars for his use, and he takes a cypress or an oak. He lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a laurel and he rains the rains to make it grow. A person can use it for fuel. He takes some of it and warms himself. He also kindles a fire and bakes bread. He even makes it into a god and worships it. He makes an idol from it and bows down to it. He burns half of it in a fire and he roasts meat on that half. He eats the roast and is satisfied. He warms himself and says, ah, I am warm, I see the blaze. He makes a god or his idol with the rest of it. He bows down to it in worship. He prays to it, save me, you, for you are my God. Such people 
do not comprehend and cannot understand, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their minds so that they cannot understand. No one comes to his senses. No one has the perception or insight to say, I burned half of it in the fire, also baked bread on the coals. I roasted meat and ate. Should I make something detestable with the rest of it? Should I bow down to a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. He deceives, his deceived mind has led him astray, and he cannot rescue himself or say, is there a lie in my right hand? We look at that. We hear that. We imagine this story, this man sitting out in the woods, chopping down a tree, chopping it in half, chopping it up into wood, making a fire out of it, baking his dinner on half of it, and then carving the rest of it into an idol and bowing down and pretending like it's a god. And we look at that and we say, that's so ridiculous. Nobody would do that. So first of all, many did. Second of all, many continue to. We might not make idols out of blocks of wood. We make idols out of our schedules. I'm bad about this. I have a certain set of things I want to get done during a day. I have them all written down. I get up super early in the morning. I make a list of all the things I want to accomplish that day. And on there, I have things like pray. Actually, I think I phrase it pray big. That, that's what I want to do every day. Read the Bible. Go to meet this appointment. Make this phone call. Get this paper written. Go ahead and, and research this thing over here. And I'll, I'll have a list of 20 things I want to get done in a day. You know how often it is that 18 of those things get done, but not pray big and not read Bible? You know what I've done there? I have placed my list of my things before my God. Shame on me. That is as ridiculous as making a, 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 taking a log and making an idol out of half and supper out of the other half. Or, or we might do the same thing out of money. We pursue more and more and more, and it, it's money we earned. We did the work for it, but it become the single most important endeavor and pursuit of our life, and everything comes about getting that next dollar and putting more zeros in our bank account and having more, 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 more. And what have we done? We've created a God that we like instead of serving a God that's real. We can do the same thing out of every area of life. And we do. We make gods of the most ridiculous thing. Things that have, honestly, no control over our future and no ability to really help us. And we neglect the one who does control the future and who can help us for the sake of pursuing our own things. Schedules. Money, family, jobs, hobbies, people, entertainment, none of that deserves a place on the pedestal. Only God. The very next chapter, Isaiah 45, 
starting in verse 9. Woe to the one who argues with his maker, one clay pot among many. Does clay say to the one forming it, what are you making? Or does your, uh, who, or does your work say he has no hands? Woe to the one who says to his father, what are you fathering? Or to his mother, what are you giving birth to? This is what the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and its maker says. Ask me what is to happen to my sons and instruct me about the work of my hand. I made the earth and created humans on it. It was my hand that stretched out heaven and I commanded everything in them. I have stirred, up in, or I have stirred him up in righteousness and will level all roads before him. He will build my city and set my exiles free, not for the price or for a bribe, says the Lord of armies. Notice, God's in control. God gets to shape me. God gets to tell me who I am. God gets to tell me what I should accomplish. God gets to be the one who directs my steps. And shame on me if I try to take that role from him. God is worthy of ruling you. And you are not. We already read Psalm 145, but turn back there with me real quick. Psalm 145. I want to start there in verse 3 where it says, The Lord is great. He is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your work to the next and will proclaim your mighty act. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous work. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness, and I or, and will sing joyfully of your righteousness. Brothers and sisters, if you truly want to be joyful and happy and fulfilled... In this life, that has to be your one and only perspective. That's it. Life has to be about praising him. Not about me and not about you and not about the world around us, but all about him. And yes, we have to go to work. Go to work for him. Yes, we have to go out and earn money. Earn what he directs you to earn. Yes, we have to spend time with our family and do other things that aren't about gathering together and worshiping God. Then go out there and live your worship to God. But be all about him. He deserves it. And that's what I want to talk about this year. I want us to spend a year talking about what it means to put God back on the pedestal of our lives so that we might truly be able to serve him and put him first. That begins by putting him first in your, your life every day. And, and that begins by putting him first in your life right now. If you're not a child of God, that's the way to put him first. Make a commitment to belong to him. Make a decision that you're going to serve him and do things his way. He says, repent of a life without him. Let him be in control of your life by confessing him as Lord and being baptized to wash away those sins. If you've not done that, that's how to put him first. He makes that so clear in Scripture. For many of us who have done that, we did at some point say, yes, God, you are in control. Maybe we need to have a conversation with the mirror 
about whether we've let him have control. And if that's your case, and you want the prayers of the saints here, we want to pray with you and for you. If you need the invitation to get your life right, please come forward and let us know what we can do to help you as we stand and sing this song. Hosanna, you're my king. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.